I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why'd you take your pants off? My balls are hot. I thought we had to have all the answers right now. And now? I'm kind of liking the fact that I don't. If one of us goes to war, we all go to war. Welcome back to Love and the Fighter. I'm your host, Charles Tajisco, and it's great to be back here with all of you. I apologize for the delay. We just got a little off schedule. Grace and I, you know, the holidays, and um, there was just a lot going on. So both of our schedules are changing a bit, too, but ideally for the better. So we might be recording these on Sunday and getting them out to you earlier in the week, maybe Monday or Tuesday. So be on the lookout for that. And there's not too, too much to go over. Um, into, oh God, I've been, guys, so, Grace, you could leave this in, I've been, I realized I've been trying to work on my ums a lot more, and Grace, you know, she'll edit them out, um, she hooks it up for me a little bit, but there's usually not too many, and then last week, she told me there was a lot, and I gotta tell you, it killed me, it killed me, because I've had a few listeners tell me, like, hey, you say, uh, write a lot, or, or, you know, uh, you say, um, and, uh, it's just, you know, there you go. It's just one of those things where I think I have it ingrained in me so much that I don't even realize it. And then when she said that, I thought I had been getting better. And I've listened to myself on tape a few times outside of this podcast, you know, obviously unedited. unedited. And I'm like, oh, wow, I sound pretty good. I'm, I'm, my dictation is getting better. But then it, it, they just, they've been sneaking their way in. They've been sneaking their way in. So I, I've really been trying to work on that. And slow it down just a little bit because I think if I really want to do better in broadcasting that's got to be on there another cool thing for just like an update is I spoke with John Gooden who is the UFC play-by-play announcer for Europe and uh, Brazil Um, typically John Anik isn't going down to he, he does some of the trips but almost all of them in Europe are done by John Gooden at least for the non-pay-per-view cards. So we got to chatting, and I we had talked on Twitter a couple times, and I reached out to him on LinkedIn. I said, hey, look, man, you, you were really helpful. You know, the, you've answered a lot of good questions for me. You know, you mind if I just kind of rifle off a few more? And he was all ears, and we, we had a, a couple back and forths that were very helpful and just more or less seeking his input on everything moving forward and, you know, how I can continue to be the very best commentator I can be. And I had talked about it a little bit after the last Cowboy Fights, I was like, you know, I just didn't feel like I did my I did my best work. It wasn't like I didn't try. It wasn't like I didn't prepare. It just didn't feel like I was operating on my normal level of performance, right? And I, uh, I was like, really? I thought it was just a lack of um, activity, right? Because I've done commentary, I would say, when I was, when I was working exclusively for Cagezilla, it was about six, and I was with them for about two years. It was like six, I should say even the one year, it was like four to, to, to seven events per year, which is just not enough, right? And then when I switched over to Cowboy Fights, obviously it was four events, which isn't great, but it was on such a bigger platform and there was so, so much higher stakes, like interviewing Cowboy on air, being on Flow Combat as opposed to, I forget, I even forget what the, the streaming service was for that last one. But regardless, it was it was a much bigger deal. So I got a lot more from it. But I think I just have to re- go about the way I prepare a little bit differently. And I'm hoping that I'll be able to get more opportunities here through Sucker Punch Entertainment so I don't have to go and do all the cold calling that I've been doing. You know, I really like the team at Cowboy Fights. And I know they have their hand in a couple other promotions. So if those decide to go for a TV deal, I'm their guy. 
and um, I just think that's a better a better route to take. And that was kind of what was confirmed to me with with John. He said, "Look, you know, once I got to Cage Warriors, that was where it really took off. But I didn't bounce around a lot. You know, there's uh, the Ray Flores school of talk who he'll take any opportunity that comes his way." assuming it's at his level, right? He's not just going to go and do like a, a, you know, a circus amateur fight with no commission, but he's very active. This is his livelihood and it's gotten him to where he is. He was the host of the McGregor Mayweather press conference. He's done some MMA emceeing. He's done ring announcing. And now he's pretty much the go-to guy over at, for both Showtime Boxing, as well as uh, Showtime Boxing International Broadcast, as well as Premier Boxing Championships on Fox Sports 1s. He is their go-to guy when it comes to interviews, press conferences, and commentary. So there's that school thought. And then John Gooden was just saying, he's like, look, get with the good promotion, stay there, put your time in, and if they're going and doing bigger things, you're going to be their guy. And he said that in exclamation points. And he became Cage Warriors guy. And and for those that don't know, that's the biggest feeder league in Europe for the higher organizations like Bellator, the UFC, and actually KSW in Poland. They all kind of pull from Cage Warriors. They're like the the big regional show in Europe, and and it was just pretty cool to hear. So, you know, of course, I'm always looking for you guys know me by now. I'm always looking to do the big things and and stay on top of it. And really, I just want to do more commentary in general because I want to get better. But it was pretty cool to talk to him and pick his brain and and get his input on things because a lot of commentary guys is just you know pissing in the wind, man. You're just figuring it out. And it's good to have somebody who's been through that and been doing it a long time kind of be able to tell you a little bit more about what's happening. But UFC 246 was this past weekend. It was the return of Conor McGregor. And just like I only really wanted to go over three fights, I'm going to, uh, to preview, I'm going to go over those same three fights in the breakdown here. The first being Sadiq Youssef against Andre Feely. I, look, I thought this fight was excellent. It should have been on the main card. I'm still confused as to why it wasn't, especially because he was on the main card for the Cormier-Miocic pay-per-view. I think that was UFC 241. So it just doesn't make sense to build him that way and then give him a bigger name in Andre Feely and then put him on the prelims below Roxanne and I think her name's Tracy Barber. It just... Just didn't really make sense. Macy Barber, Macy Barber, excuse me. It just didn't make sense to me. But with that said, I thought that was just an excellent performance from Sadiq. He, his pressure, his boxing, and his counter striking was really evident. It took him a little bit in the beginning to find his his pacing. He traded a lot in the first round before he landed his counters. But once he really started landing his counters and getting that timing, there was quite a bit of a gap in the striking department. And then in the second round, you know. And throughout that, I should say, throughout that first round, he had a beautiful takedown defense. Even when he did get taken down, he worked his way up immediately. Reminiscent of Jose Aldo, to be honest with you. You know, he just could not be kept down. And Andre Philly does a great job of mixing in his takedowns. He really, really does a good job of that. So I was very impressed with with Sadiq's ability to get back up, as well as just preventing the takedown from happening. I mean, just by and large, <laughs> Sadiq is really, really good. And we saw that in the second round when he got on top and he just kind of kept Andre there. He was working side control, passing guards. He was dealing with the up kicks well. He was dealing with passing Andre's open guard. He was good at staying in side control and landing those hard shots. And it was just a very, very good performance. And then in the third round, you know, Sadiq actually talked about this. Philly switched to southpaw and stayed there. 
and got some of Sadiq's timing. So he put Sadiq on his horse a little bit, and then it wasn't until I would say about two-thirds, or maybe a little bit less, but it wasn't until about 75% through the round that Sadiq started touching him up again and getting that rhythm back, and, and he finished the round stronger than Andre did. But it was definitely a great performance, and look, Sadiq really learned a lot here because even though he won the fight and he wasn't really threatened to lose, it was a good learning opportunity because he felt that in that third round, he gave it up when he really didn't have to. He could have gotten that timing back, and he could have thrown Andre off, but he just... He just didn't do it. So, you know, hats off to Sadiq, man. I tell you, he is, uh, he's really, really an up-and-comer now. And he's ranked number 14 in featherweights, which is amazing because he's he's like 180-something pounds. I don't know how he does it, but uh, when he's walking around. For him, you know, if we go to what's next, I mean, you look at the guys ahead of him. A lot of people were calling for him to fight Shane Burgos. That's a good matchup, but I don't like that for Shane only because he had just fought and beat Cub Swanson. So I think he probably deserves somebody who's a little bit further up on the totem pole. And, you know, it just, I don't know. It it, it just didn't really, that, that matchup I think is one that we're going to see happen when they're both in the top five, not when they're both in the top 15. You know, you don't want to take two top prospects and have them fight so early on. Because I really think that it can cannibalize their career. I shouldn't say cannibalize their career, but you're effectively taking two guys who have the potential to be up-and-comers and the next big thing, and you're whittling that down to one. So whoever gets that big jump, that you know, that doesn't really tell the story. It just doesn't confirm it for me, I should say. And excuse me, his last fight was a TKO win against Mark Juan Amir Khani. So, you know, I think for Shane, he's looking a little bit further up. But for Sadiq, look... I, I mean, there's some options here. You know, Sadiq certainly could look to fight, obviously, Ryan Hall as an option. I don't know. I think that would be a good fight for him to take just because I think he would shut that down. Um, but I really think that the fan-friendly matchup would be like Josh Emmett or if they really wanted to bump him up, maybe even Hanato Moicano. I mean, that would be a tough push, but I think either of those guys would present pretty exciting matchups. And obviously, Shane Burgos is ahead, ahead of him as well as Calvin Qatar, but Qatar just fought Zabit, and I think that Qatar deserves somebody a little higher, just based on the way that fight went. I think that Qatar was on his way to win that fifth, the third, uh, excuse me, the fourth and fifth rounds, and we don't have to break that down entirely. But for Sadiq, he does have quite a few options here ahead of him that isn't a young prospect like Shane Burgos. So something to keep in mind there for him. But it was a great performance, and I'm really excited to see what he does next there in the, the 145-pound division. The next fight I want to go over is Anthony Pettis versus Carlos Diego Fajera. There's, you know, these next two fights, honestly, there's not too, too much to break down. Fajera put a lot of pressure on Pettis, kept him up against the cage, took him down. He just never let Pettis get comfortable. Pettis always felt like he was surviving, and Fajero did a great job of really taking away that kick. He took away the kicks, he kept moving forward, and like I had previewed, it was a, it was a nightmare matchup for Pettis. It was a really bad matchup for Pettis, and, you know, it reminds me of, of Carlos Condit when he fought Damian Maya. Carlos Condit has got a lot of submission wins. He is a very, very good jiu-jitsu p- practitioner. He, he could sub anybody in MMA, but when you get these elite Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts, like Damian Maya, like Carlos Diego Fajera, it becomes so much more difficult to get that catch style of submission. It just doesn't really happen because they unbeknownst to you, they just don't put themselves in positions to get caught, right? They, they don't hang out in positions where they're, because they've seen it all before. 
It's like when you try to jab Floyd Mayweather. It's just he's not there. He doesn't put himself in that position where you could start flipping the jab off and, and establishing the range. These high-level jiu-jitsu practitioners, do, they, they just won't put themselves in that position. So you might say, well, Pettis was able to submit Benson Henderson. And, and look, no doubt Benson Henderson is a very good Brazilian jiu-jitsu player. But he's a better jiu-jitsu player now than he was when he got submitted. And I know he had a black belt back then, but he's he's taken the jiu-jitsu to another level now. And at that point, sure, he was a black belt, no doubt. But he wasn't the black belt that Carlos Diego Fajera or Damian Maya was. It's just there's it's like being a good wrestler and then Khabib. Right, Damian Maya, Carlos Diego Fajera, these are guys who, are, you know, Jacare Souza, these are guys who are like the Khabib Nurmagomedov of wrestling. Sure, Ally Aquinta wrestled in college, and he's very capable, but he's going to have a hard time dealing with Khabib's wrestling. You could say the same about Michael Johnson, Abel Trujillo. These are guys who are who were collegiate wrestlers, and they, they didn't really do so well. So when you look at it that way, that's the best comparison. And in Anthony Pettis's situation, this was that fight. It was just a bad matchup for him. And I don't usually talk about what's next for the loser as often, but like, you know, he's he needs to get back in the game here a little bit. He had some good wins. He, he, I mean, he knocked out Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. That was unbelievable. And then he lost to Nate Diaz, which is okay. It happens. Nate's a bad matchup for him. But at a certain point, we keep talking about these bad matchups. Who's he going to fight? You know, I, he for years he was like, ah, I'm tired of fighting these wrestlers who just grind me out, blah, 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 blah. You know, give me a striker, give me a striker. And then he got Edson Barbosa. And I and that was when Edson Barbosa was on his run. And it was like, oh, shit. And Edson Barbosa tuned him up. Tuned him up bad. I don't know what you do for Pettis. It's just he's had such a hard time getting back in the game. He's had such a hard time just figuring that out again. You know, maybe it's a rematch with Jim Miller. If Jimmy Miller wants that, I know he took that first one on, on when he had Lyme disease, uh, and that would be a big win for him. That would be a good opportunity. I, but I don't know. I don't know. I mean, for Pettis, it's just it's tough. It's tough. He's only lost to the best. But like Cowboy Cerrone, you're gonna start fighting up and comers. You're just gonna become a gatekeeper. I don't know. I, I just you got to think about what you want from the sport and what you want your career to look like moving forward. But it, he's in a tough spot for sure. For Carlos, they're already saying Islam Makachev, who I believe fought Davi Ramos. I believe that was his last fight. Now, he was supposed to fight Kevin Lee, but it didn't happen. And like Carlos Diego Fajera, Davi Ramos was an incredibly talented Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Davi Ramos actually won ADCC. He uh, hit a flying armbar on Lucas Lepre, which is significant. Now, while Carlos Diego Fajera isn't as, as accomplished a competitor like competing in ADCC. He, he's a similar stylistic matchup for Islam, and it's not as bad of a matchup, right? It's going to be mostly a striking affair because Fajera's going to have a harder time taking Islam down, and it's a good it's a good fight for Makachev to derail a guy who's on a six-fight win streak, who's now a top 15 ranked opponent, and it's, just, it's kind of a, a good feather in his cap to beat the guy that is running through people, including a former champ without really putting himself in a lot of danger. So I actually think that's what they're going to end up doing for Carlos. And if I'm Fajera, I would take it because the win for him is so much more than the rank would indicate because Islam is like seen as the next big guy. He's the next big thing at lightweight. But we'll have to see how that breaks down. But that's my prediction for, for where that what's next for, for Fajera is that he'll fight Makachev. And then when we get to the main event, Cowboy Cerrone, Conor McGregor is about 40 seconds long. And 
at its core, Connor was just too explosive and too athletic. And it, like I had been saying, it was a disaster matchup for, for Cowboy. You know, I, I wasn't quite as as passionate about that as I should have been maybe, but when I talked about the facts of Connor being a better boxer and Cowboy struggling against boxers and Cowboy struggling against guys who are explosive and fast starters and Connor is very much explosive and a fast starter, I didn't really see how it would happen unless something could have, unless Connor came out differently, right? Connor came right out after him. Now, we've seen him do that before where he'll come after somebody and then it's like the first 60 seconds, it's like, whoa, what's happening, what's happening? And then he kind of backs off. But I don't know. I, we saw that happen. I've seen that happen before with you know Robbie Lawler when he put when he put a lot on Johnny Hendricks in the first couple minutes. He came after him, and really he was working the body that eventually paid off for him in the later rounds. You know to take to take the wind out of Johnny Hendricks. But for Cowboy, it just he it was just he's the type of guy where he likes to get hit a little bit and he likes to get fighting before he picks up your timing and he goes into that autopilot smooth mode that he does so, so well. And that's just not going to happen. That's just not going to happen when you're fighting Conor McGregor. So, you know, I don't want to get too into the fight because there wasn't a whole lot to say other than the people who think that he threw the fight, you guys are fucked up. You're fucking crazy. Sorry, Dad, if you're listening. Uh, You just don't... That just... Cowboy would rather give back the money, and we'll talk about that in a second, than take the loss. Now, people are also saying how it's unbelievable that Cowboy's getting 200 to win and 200 to show when Connor's getting 3 million. Cowboy will get a very sizable check later, and it's going to be deposited into an LLC bank account, and he's going to have an accountant work on his, his taxes for him. Conor McGregor's a, I believe, you know, he's a foreign national. He's not a U.S. citizen, so he is subject to additional taxes that he will get back, and additional withholdings that he will get back. But that three million is going to be taxed heavily. So, you know, Cowboy's been doing this a long time. He doesn't care what people what people see for disclosed income. This is no different than when, and, and by the way, the same for Conor. Like he's getting a lot more money than the three million that it shows. But this is like when you hire somebody as a CEO and you give them a salary of $500,000 a year, right? These big companies that hire these people, I think actually the uh, Lorenzo Fertitta got a, got a job doing that, a job. He became CEO or partner for a hotel and casino group. And his salary was $500,000 a year, which by the way is not small money, but for guys who are virtually billionaires, that's not worth their time. But the majority of the income is coming in different ways. Ownership, stocks, options, percentages of revenue, bonuses. Like Their income is not based on their weekly paycheck. So look at this no different than that for both Connor and Cowboy, but especially Cowboy because he was only showing 200 to show, 200 to win. I assure you, a lot more is coming his way. But moving on, we're going to bump up to UFC Raleigh this weekend. And there's only really two fights that I'm interested in. But I'll tell you what, these are two great fights that I wish were on UFC 246. I guess it didn't need it because they said that it was showing a historical trend of 2 million pay-per-view buys in the pre-ESPN Plus era, which means that had they been releasing the statistics for the pay-per-view buys and didn't have an ESPN Plus paywall and that whole deal, they could have expected this pay-per-view to go over 2 million. So they're working the numbers a little bit there over at ESPN and the UFC. They're, it's a little bit more complicated than just one buy equals 
one purchase, right? One consumer buying the pay-per-view doesn't necessarily equate to one view anymore. They, they have a whole different metric system. But the pay-per-view did very well. So I guess it didn't need these fights, but UFC Raleigh, the co-main event, Rafael Dos Anjos versus Michael Chiesa. Now, I love this fight because Chies- they're both coming up for 155. Dos Anjos, while not tall, is a pretty thick 55er. He was a little oversized for the division, and Chiesa was very big for the division. So right off the bat, I like that we have two guys who are going to fight a little bit healthier that we didn't get to see fight at 155. Dos Anjos coming off a big win over Kevin Lee, and Michael Chiesa coming off a win over Carlos Condit. So a lot of intrigue here. Definitely a lot of intrigue going on. I, I'm going to tell you that Dos Anjos is more established at 170. He's fought Covington. He's fought Usman, right? He's fought the very best of the best. And his insane pressure and volume, plus the fact that he doesn't have to cut any weight, that's a lot for anybody to handle at any weight. But specifically Michael Chiesa, who has struggled with cardio in the past. He's he's definitely had some issues. Now, some of that might have been attributed to the fact that he was cutting so much weight and he couldn't, you know, he would he would lose after his uh, after his energy ran out, which would happen quicker. But I don't necessarily think that's going to be his problem here at 170. I think the real question is going to be can Chiesa keep up with Dos Anjos's pace in terms of volume and pressure as opposed to, you know, that that cardio issue. And also where is his advantage going to be? Chiesa's he hits hard, but he's not a really technical striker or the most talented. But he has enough where when mixed in with his grappling, it can be quite successful. I just don't see him taking down Dos Anjos and submitting him, though. Maybe getting a couple takedowns here and there just to throw Dos Anjos off. But he's not going to submit Rafael Dos Anjos. I'd be very surprised if he did. And I think he's going to be very susceptible to leg kicks. And I think he's going to be susceptible to Dos Anjos on the inside, whether it's grappling in the clinch or just striking on the inside. So I do think it's a bad matchup for Chiesa. I think Dos Anjos is going to get it done, but I actually think this is probably going to be fight of the night because when Chiesa brings the dog out, he really will put it on people. And Dos Anjos has been hurt before, so I don't see why he wouldn't be able to be hurt again, (laughs) right? Uh, And then the main event, Curtis Blades versus Junior Dos Santos. Now, Curtis Blades has been susceptible to heavy hitters early in the fight. We saw it with uh, with Francis Ngannou, right? I, he's he's gotten so much better, Curtis Blades has, in striking, in wrestling, and putting it all together. He really, I believe he is a force to be reckoned with, but he's a bit of a slow starter, and at heavyweight, and I don't mean slow starter in the same way as like Cowboy, where he's got, he's like a diesel engine. He Curtis is kind of like, hangs out a little bit too much. He either rushes in and makes it happen, or he kind of waits, 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 and then next thing you know, he gets cracked, right? We actually have seen him get hit in the past by guys who couldn't put him away, um, but a guy like Dos, San- Dos Santos can still do that. So that's an, that's an intriguing part of this matchup, but Junior over the years has changed his style a lot. He throws a lot more leg kicks. He stays a little bit more at range, and he has a little bit more of a methodical style. He's trying not to get hit as much and, and fire those heavy hands. And we saw that with Alistair Overeem when it didn't work, but then conversely, we saw it work very well against a guy like Ben Rothwell. So, you know, I I think Dos Santos has changed his style for the right reasons. He's older. He doesn't want to get hit as much. But that advantage that he has over Blades makes it a little bit more confusing as to whether or not it's actually, uh, actually going to be there, right? And Dos Santos does struggle with high-volume wrestlers. His kryptonite was Cain Velasquez. And Blades is very similar to Cain Velasquez. He's bigger, a little bit slower, 
and a little bit more controlling as opposed to uh, Kane, who has a little bit higher pressure and volume. But Blades is very, very similar. So the question I would ask everybody is, can Blades survive the early rounds and then implement that Kane Velasquez game plan? Can he avoid getting hit hard, whether it's a leg kick that's, that takes his legs away or a heavy punch that, that takes his chin away early in the fight, the first couple minutes, first round, and then implement that high volume, high cardio pace that just seems to be really everybody's kryptonite, especially in the heavier weight classes from like 170 and up maybe even 155 and up, but nothing like at heavyweight where Blades is going to effectively be able to punch, 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 kick, take down, and rinse and repeat, which for Dos Santos could spell a very long, very painful night. So I, I do think it's Curtis's Blades time. I think he probably learned from his second Nganu loss, which was disappointing for him, I'm sure, but I do think he's going to get back in there and get back to his winning ways. Um, damn it. I think I did a lot better with the ums today. But they happen in these transitions, you know, when I go to switch subjects or when I catch my breath. And I do run out of breath when I'm talking. But I, I feel like I don't talk that quickly. And I feel like it doesn't happen when I'm in a conversation. Maybe that's because the conversation is back and forth. Whereas in this, I'm just talking to you guys. But uh, regardless, <laughs> I'm working on that. And hopefully I'm making, my, I'm making Grace's life a little bit easier. Um, I could tell you... Leave it in, Grace. Leave it in. I can tell you guys that I actually have legitimate good news about the gym now. I can't say anything just yet for obvious reasons, but it's actually good news. So uh, it's confirmed good news. We'll get into it shortly, and hopefully by the next episode, I'm able to give you guys a full breakdown of everything that happened while I was recording the podcast. And I also, I really got to thank the friends of the podcast, right? Sorello Art. If you guys, you guys know what he does, you know where to find him. If you don't, reach out to us and we'll get you in touch. And he's still obviously working at higher levels of optimization than I've ever seen. I also want to thank Friend of the Pod, The Grace Effect, who's got some cool things going on, getting busy, but still available for any and all video production and editing needs. Storyboarding, script writing, she really does it all. So she is your go-to resource for anything of that nature. And lastly, if I had to leave you all with anything, is that this podcast is sponsored by District Martial Arts, the premier mixed martial arts gym in Arlington, Virginia. DMA has expert-level instruction in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, boxing, wrestling, and MMA. Come by soon for your free trial and reference this episode of The Lover and the Fighter for a special discount. Guys, hopefully we get back on schedule this weekend. More to come, but it was great to speak to all of you, and I will see you next week for the next episode of The Lover and the Fighter.